a little bit fried, so just warning on that. Sorry. Uh, flew back in this morning. Mm. Got home around 9.45, 10 o'clock, somewhere around there. Came in to drop my stuff and get ready to head out to the school. And one of my other roommates is out of town and had parked his car behind me. <laughs> of course he did. Right, which wouldn't have been a problem. Like, he, he knew that I was coming home before him, and so he had set his keys aside to be available for someone else to move the car out of the way when we needed to. And then, apparently, while he was packing up, just out of habit, he grabbed his keys again and pocketed them. So, you know, but a little bit. But he was also (laughs) super quick to throw out, like, yeah, no, whatever you got to do as far as Ubers, let me know what it costs and I'll get it. I'll take care of it. I'll pay for it. That's cool. So, I mean, he's, you know, yeah, he's doing what he can to make it right. So it's not a big deal. Just kind of one of those things where it's like, oh, my first day back and I'm Ubering there. (laughs) And then it's a late night at school anyway, and I'm Ubering home. And then tomorrow we're off. We get kind of a recovery day. And then Wednesday, the kids show up. So I've got Wednesday will be done. I can be distracted on the ride into work thinking about whatever neuroses are going to claim my attention at that point. Right, right. And not have to worry about how that's going to affect my driving because I won't be. That's funny. All right, well... Find that bright side, man. We're going to be into it. So welcome to the podcast, everybody. We're here for yeah. uh, delicious beverages, meaningful conversations, which uh, hopefully we'll get both here really quick. Why don't you tell us how your trip to Colorado went? Yeah, absolutely, man. It was great. My sister is turning 30 on Wednesday, Old so what's the day this gets released. I, man, we got to be careful with that. <laughs> it doesn't look good on us when the people younger than us are being called old. <laughs> But yeah, no, so to celebrate her birthday, you know, because you only hit the decade once every 10 mm-hmm. years. Weird how mm-hmm. that works. <laughs> she wanted to do, you know, she lives in the suburbs of Denver and she was like, you know what? I don't really feel like doing a bar crawl. 30 feels a little too old for that. Yeah. But I do want to hit, like hit a bunch of breweries was basically the plan. Nice. There were at one point tentatively nine set up. Good as places grief. we were going to stop at throughout the day. Well, so we were starting at like one. And it was going to be sort of an open house type deal. Okay. You know, when when we're in your neck yeah. of the woods, come join us. Like a hop on, hop off tour. Yeah. Exactly. And so there were three different parts of Denver. And at each one of those, she had three maybe breweries that we might hit. And there was never any intention of hitting all nine. It was right. just sort of, these are the ones we might end up at at some point. As it turns out, we ended up at four, because the first one we ended up at for a long time. Mm. Mostly just because that's where people were mostly trickling in. Right. And so every time we thought we were getting ready to roll, there was a new two or three people there who had ordered a beer. And so it's like, well, I guess we'll have one too while we wait. It was called uh, Called to Arms. And it was Mm. a really cool, really cool spot. So they don't do food, but they had a food truck outside. This smoked barbecue truck, which was phenomenal stuff. And inside, their their beers were pretty tasty. It was, we ended up hitting four spots. And it was probably, from a beer perspective, my favorite one. How is the beer there? Is it really, like, snooty? Like, I get the impression that Colorado beer is, like, the really snooty beer scene. Not the ones we went to. Okay. Now, there are definitely, there's definitely some of that. But not the ones we went to. Okay. It was actually consistently really chill, 
it was a good spot to be able to kind of talk to the people. One of the cool things about Call to Arms is that they had three different beers that were kind of employee ideas. So ones that kind of started off with one of their normal beers. And then the employees were like, hey, what if we were to do this with it? Right. And so I loved that experimental kind of thing on it. That is cool. They had a really good IPA that was called just the CT, I think, the CT IPA. And it was just a really, it had kind of that nice citrus balance to it Mm -hmm. to keep the hops from punching you too hard in the face. Yeah. But really, I had three or four, no, I had three different beers there and tried a little bit of someone else's and they were all really solid. Nice. And... So we hit like three other spots. Like I said, the last spot we hit was called Platt's Place or Pratt's Place, something like that. And they had this cream ale, which was delicious. Mm. And if you're not super familiar with what a cream ale is, imagine the texture of like a Guinness. Like they're those super smooth, but much lighter in color. And almost a sw- like a slight sweet to the taste well, on they, this one. They it use was... lactose, don't they? Like they actually yeah. use like the is it a protein or a sugar from milk? So I mean it, it exactly yeah. And so it is. I mean it was phenomenal. It was really good. That was one of my favorite beers on the mm-hmm. on the day. But again, we ended up hitting four different spots and had probably two or three different drinks at each one. And so I don't remember all of them well enough. Because a lot of them, I had a lot of IPAs and a lot of them kind of blended together. Also, I really don't, rem- I'm not sure some of the places we weren't at super long, so I don't really remember their names. Didn't commit them Although to I do want to, the, the second one, the second place we hit was called Distigues. And I only had one beer there. It was a really good Belgian triple. But what actually made them stand out and made me remember them now as I was thinking about it is they also had their own nitro cold brew. Mm. So, and that was really tasty. It was a super smooth, easy drinking cold brew. I was just going to ask if you got any coffee there. Yeah. Yeah, I did. And so what was cool about it too is that the guy who owns the brewery, apparently his brother is a coffee roaster. And so it's still kind of family business on it. That's cool. Doing that combo there. I like that a lot. It was awesome, man. I like that a lot. It was just, unfortunately, it was a super small place. And so there wasn't a ton of room for the crowd we had collected at that point. And so we didn't Mm. stick around too long. Right. And a lot of the people who had some of their other beers, like their IPAs and things, weren't as impressed. The triple was really good. I haven't seen a lot of craft places that have their own triples. Just because it's normally kind of a more involved beer. I was going to say, that's kind of like an elitist type beer. Like, I don't know how often people would venture into that style. Just a, for exactly. fear of being criticized type of a thing. Well, and they clearly were going for the full Belgian thing because they had an Abbey single. They had a double, a triple, and they even had a quad. So oh, wow. they were cl- they were clearly feeling themselves with the Belgian beers at that place. Right. How about you, man? I had a very strange coffee experience. And I say strange okay. because it's weird for me, but I actually think you're going to love it. So I told you that I went and hung out with... Uh, Jamie Jarman, uh, who does right. Jarman's barrel-aged coffee. And so we finally broke into his coffee. We traded a bag, and he gave me a it's an Ethiopian bean barrel-aged in a whiskey barrel. And 
it is insane how much whiskey flavor comes through in the coffee. Blew my mind. I was smelling it. I was like, man, this smells weird. Brewed <laughs> it. I was like, this smells so weird. The whole house is just like full. It's like super aromatic. The whole house is just full of the smell. And I was like, this smells so weird. This doesn't smell like coffee. And then right. take, take the first drink. And I was like, this tastes weird. It doesn't taste like coffee. <laughs> and then after a while, I was like, oh, my gosh, this tastes like whiskey. Like, holy cow. Like, my mind was just exploding that it tasted so much like whiskey. Now, unfortunately, I'm not a whiskey drinker. I've never acquired the taste. I've never uh, anything distilled, actually. I've never acquired uh, the ability to okay. taste anything distilled. It all just tastes like fire and then like this dryish. I don't know. There's like a very distinct flavor to distills that has something to it that is weird for me. I, But I've just never been able to appreciate it, figured it out, taken the time. So it took me a little while to figure out how to taste it. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this tastes like whiskey. And then just all day long, I just kept catching whiffs. I had my coffee cup out while I was roasting. And it was hot enough that it was actually evaporating my coffee. (laughs) Yeah. And it smelled like whiskey. I mean, just if I was drinking this stuff at work, I would have been, quote, unquote, anonymously drug tested, like alcohol and drug tested. It smelled that much like whiskey. So, Man, and so you were kind of expecting it to have kind of like some notes and some hints of things. Yeah, just like a little something. And said it had. It was like bam, right in the face. And said it was like it had a hint of coffee. Yeah, exactly right. I, I think it's gonna. I think you're gonna really, really like it. I'm, I can't wait to try it, man. There's a lot of room for crossover with the coffee and alcohol world. I think, and, and oh, definitely, in a good way. Yeah, I don't know if you saw on Instagram that I had a. Stout ice cream? Yeah, I did see that. So weird. So good. They also <laughs> have a bourbon tr- truffle one, too. I've had some bourbon flavoring in beer. Be- I mean, in, not in beer. In, in ice uh, cream? Ice cream before. Man, I was just like, I these flavors work in so many other worlds, and I just never, yep. never took the time to think about it. You know, like, I've thought about having... You know, a stout with a slice of cheesecake, that's great. But I've never thought about, you know, like having a stout cheesecake before. I've never crossed the streams. It's just, I don't know, man, but it just, it rocked my world this weekend. It was, it was nuts. Very cool. Oh, so when I went out for my sister's birthday, I'm the one who came home with a present. So when she was (laughs) at NAU, she was studying hospitality. Like that was her major. Yeah, yeah. was hotel restaurant management. And so she had taken a course on beer tasting. And she was like, you know, I mean, this book might be a little basic for kind of where you're at. But still, I figured I'd give I'd been meaning to give it to you for a while now to give it a shot. Nice. I was like, Val, you're overestimating me. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm really good at talking about why I like beer and those kinds of things. But having a book that'll help me with some of the terminology and help me find words for the things that I don't necessarily know exactly right. how I want to explain it. So I'm really looking forward to tucking into that thing. Oh, that's awesome. Have you noticed that since you started doing the beer reviews on Instagram, like like finding the words to describe what you're tasting? Yes, it's because it's one of those hard. things. When you and I are sitting here talking about a beer we drink, I can say things like, you know what, man? It's just really good. And I can make references to other things that I know you've had. Right. Right. Or things that has come up in our previous conversations about things you're looking for in them. And I can make yeah. that reference. And that's easy enough to get the job done. 
But when we're talking about it, either on the podcast or when we're trying to write a review that's going out to the general population, all of a sudden it's like I can't rely on those shared experiences right because i don't have them with these people or like the so, weird like body language that you can use in person you know I, I, yes when i was facial expressions yeah, starting with beer you know like i would communicate everything in my tasting of beer to you in like odd facial expressions and shoulder shrugs and weird hand gestures because i, I had no idea the words and it oh i would you've I been around somebody were a video <laughs> if you've been around people long enough you get it, but as soon as you need to try to write it down, it's so hard. Like, and especially since you like IPAs, the bitterness mm-hmm. is is so hard to describe. Because I mean, you have right, you have just bittering hops, but then you have aromatic hops, and bitter is. I mean, bitter is its own flavor, but I mean, right, there's nuance to it. But how do you nuance it other than bitter? You know, you got to find exactly. different ways to communicate it, and that's. It's the hard part, but it's also kind of fun. Um, I mean, you're going to be a beer poet here before too long. That's the goal, man. <laughs> uh, so our topic tonight is, I don't know. I think it's been big in the Catholic community. I think we've uh, kind of, we're hearing more and more people, at least in the Twitterverse, uh, about people wanting more community. And, you know, with a lot of the scandals that happened, people's solutions are community, you know, isolation being bad bad things happen in isolation. And so it's kind of been in the forefront of our minds. And then I was reading an article and uh, it had the most ridiculous title. So I had to click on it. Yes, I'm subject to clickbait. And it was the 20 ways that you are offending your children. And I was like, oh, let's read what all the hippies in California want me to think about my children. (laughs) So I'm clicking through it, clicking through it. Some of it was good. You know, it's like, don't tell your daughter she's fat. Be like, okay, yeah, there's better ways to do that. I get that. So there's some of them that were like, on the nose, you're like, okay, all right, yeah, 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 we get it. You know, and then there's definitely like the Asian mom stereotypes in there. I was, I laughed a little bit because even the picture was an Asian, Asian mom. And then uh, the one that got me was about, uh, it said, don't discuss religion and politics with your kids. Religion and politics are very personal decisions and they shouldn't be thrown on your kids, basically. And that one caught Which me is because impossible, right? Right. It's hard to be yourself without it. Like it's weird, man. Kids pick up everything. I mean, like sponge, like just it's crazy. They absorb at a rate that if I could learn as fast as they do, like I could take over the world. But I mean, they just pick up everything. So it is impossible to not impart that onto your children. But at the same time, my thought was. That's dumb. That's exactly what you want to impart on your children. You know, those are your values. You know, you can't have some value system that doesn't have a reason behind it. And so I was thinking about it and it was just a big indicator for me on the push for individualism. Culture seems to really want individuals and not communities. Like they don't want groups of people thinking the same. They want a bunch of individual people thinking random crap (laughs) well and so that partly ties into so when i say it's impossible not to impart that to your children and when we're talking about religion and politics what i mean by that isn't just that it's impossible for you to genuinely be who you are and ignore those two massive aspects of what life as a social creature is but it also means that really someone is going to 
Mm-hmm. The reason the parents' influence on these things, well, part of the reason why the parents' influence on these things is so strong is because it's often the first one they hear. Right. So if the parents aren't talking about it, then that's where, like you just said, the the random stuff where what is so if you don't talk about religion and politics at home, okay, where's the first place they're going to hear it then? Because that's going to become the opinion that shapes them. Right. And I feel way more confident about that shaping opinion coming from a person or people who the child is going to see over and over again throughout their life where there's an opportunity to learn that as you grow older, you know, there was a time where we idolized our parents and thought they were these perfect people and we just wanted to be exactly like them. As we got older, and again, this is coming from someone who has a really good relationship with their parents, nevertheless, I know they're imperfect. Mm -hmm. And so I know that their opinions are their opinions and a good guidepost for me. Right. But it's not definitive. Whereas if I hear it from someone who I never actually interact with in daily life, I only know them as their public persona, as they're putting themselves out there as these incredibly brilliant, thoughtful people. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm never going to have the interaction that rehumanizes them yeah. and kind of brings them back to a level where I can question them. Ooh, that's well said. Yeah, because you basically it becomes an ultimate truth. And now you're a member of the mob, uh, not like exactly the, not mafioso, but like the pitchforks and torches mob. <laughs> Although sometimes who knows? Sometimes. Yeah, it's true. Hard Why not say. both? <laughs> Por que lo, los nos dos, right? Something you say? Close. Por que no los dos. There you go. My uh, Spanish is bad. I was never good at it. I cheated the whole time anyway. I mean, I did not cheat. I got my degree fair and square. Um, Secondly, Uh so the other part that I saw when I was reading this thing that really stuck out to me is I felt like, and again, this is all very my emotional response to it and always poorly thought out before throwing it on the podcast, is that... Let's go with sincere and genuine (laughs) and in the moment. I like these way better than just saying poorly thought out. See, you're going to be a poet. We're going to get you there. (laughs) Um, I also think that it's it's culture's kind of way of killing off. I call them traditional values or old values or old ways of thinking that aren't in line with current culture. So, I mean, if you have a group of people that kind of are passing on these mentalities, you can't break free of that. You can't break through that. So what you do is you just individualize everybody and you say, rebel against your parents, be your own person. You don't have to be like them. And then now you have a bunch of, a bunch of individuals instead of a group that is of one mind type of a thing. And even though I get that there's probably some positive justification on there like you could say you know i mean we just had some shootings and everybody's gonna talk about white supremacy and everything and yeah there's a lot of groups that pass down thought processes that are not good right i get that but that's in my opinion that is not the majority right there's always going to be a crazy minority but the majority has good values and a group of like-minded people who can feel supported. I feel like that's a good thing rather than trying to be on your own and figuring out the entire world all by yourself. Well, I think on a very fundamental level, the biggest problem with it is that it's literally impossible. So, I mean, think about what you were just saying. So the goal is to get rid of these traditional values or these countercultural values, these ones that are opposed to what, Countercultural, that's good. Kind of the 
the trend of the times or, you know, people who are stuck in the past and all these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And so the goal is to get them to think for themselves as individuals. So long as the conclusions you come to are the same that we have come to. Right. So it's really just replacing who's the center of your group think. But this is going to be the problem anytime. And again, I know I eventually I'm going to get tired of saying it. But ultimately, it is one of those things where there has to be a balance between these two things that we pretend are opposed. Because, yeah, it would be really dangerous if, for example, your daughters grew up just assuming that everything you told them is 100% the absolute truth, no matter what evidence there is contrary to it. That would be terrible. I agree with that. What would be equally terrible is them growing up believing that everything you say is 100% either a lie or just a mistake and wrong. And so they instantly dismiss everything you say. Mm. Both of those ultimately have the same result of you're not actually thinking, you're not actually being critical and asking questions. You're moving with an assumption, either an assumption of truth or an assumption of falsehood. But either way, I had a teacher in high school who was one of my favorites and he taught a philosophy class called Christian ethics And one of the things he said on the first day of class was, you cannot measure the truth with a watch or with a calendar. An idea being old definitely Mm. doesn't automatically prove it's true. Right. But it doesn't make any more sense to say that it automatically is false just because it's an old old idea. Right. And so that's where this idea of people being obsessed with ending up on the right side of history I think very few people have ever actually ended up on the right side of history by setting that as their goal. Hmm. The people who end up on the right side of history where it's like, oh, look at this. This is genuine progress that's happened. They didn't end up there because they were convinced that they needed to pick the winning side. They got there because they stood for what they believed in, regardless of what was going on. And that's where genuine conviction comes from, which genuine conviction is what you're going to need to affect genuine change. Oh, that's so well said. Like, I I absolutely feel like there are people right now trying to be, like, the most progressive with the hopes that they will get their 15 minutes of fame for being progressive and leading change and and doing things. Like, I, I, there's a, I don't know if I've talked about it already, but there's a painting in San Francisco at George Washington High School that there there it was painted in the uh, depression and it depicts okay. it depicts slaves and native americans and they're going to paint over this 85 year old painting because it depicts slaves and children shouldn't have to walk by that and see slaves and it's led by like one very local government person and even there's tons of liberals over there that are saying no we need this We need to remind, you know, like all of the arguments that every rational person has. But you can't whitewash history. Yeah. The the fact that you get rid of the picture doesn't mean it didn't happen. Right. And in fact, by pretending it didn't happen, you erase the possibility of learning the lesson from it. Right. But I really feel like she is pushing so hard on this so that she can be in the limelight of look at how progressive I am. You know, there's Colin Kaepernick and Nike, and then there's me, the San Francisco councilwoman. Like, yeah, I, I really think that that's something that people are pushing, like trying to be, like you said, on the right side of history, which doesn't 
doesn't work out the way. You got to be genuine. If it's not coming from genuine conviction, you're never going to actually create any real change. But Absolutely. We kind of started touching on there is there positive aspects to individualism. Oh, absolutely. So, again, that idea of if we're talking about it from the perspective of questioning, not necessarily assuming that authority is wrong, but questioning the authority, questioning the way things have always been done can be hugely beneficial because that's how new things come to be. So if, for example, there was a famous quote from an unnamed banker, basically, who denied Henry Ford a loan because he said that cars would never replace horses as a means of transportation. Right. <laughs> and, and again, that's groupthink. Henry Ford took a much more individualistic approach. He believed right. that what he was working on was something that would really matter and would really change. And so his willingness to stand alone and break from conventional wisdom, when at the time there wasn't necessarily a whole lot of reason for optimism. Mm-hmm. The first cars were not actually faster than horses. Their mileage meant that they didn't particularly go very far. You know, similar to what we're looking at now with electric cars and how their batteries run dead so fast you can't really use them. Well, okay, that's true now. But if we say, well, because it's that way now, it always will be, then this is as good as things are going to get. Right, right. There's, And again, there's also just this idea of avoiding groupthink because groupthink is bad if you allow the group to think for you that's a bad thing thinking with the group having people to talk to that's different that's a very good thing Mm -hmm. being able to kind of use each other as sounding boards to help kind of think of things in a way that you don't on your own because of your limited perspective that's great but groupthink where you know i see it at school all the time where we're getting ready to start working on something and people are kind of excited or kind of into it. But then there's this one kid who yeah. is, he, he kind of runs the class and he's like, oh man, this is lame or this sucks. And all of a sudden you've got all these people who before were either neutral or even possibly a little bit positive about it. who are like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What he said, this sucks. This is awful. That's group thing. Right. And so that focus on individualism and that recognizing the importance of individualism can help counter that. So there are definitely good things. Yeah, combats conformity. I think about, too, like in response to that, too, though, I mean, school in principle is groupthink. You're taking all of history's knowledge and you're basically creating a giant pool, a giant group of information, and you're building on that. And you're going to take all of that information that came from all the people before you so that you can progress farther. You can take it farther, right? So there's, I think there's, like you said, there is a benefit to challenging the group, but I think there's probably still, if not more, at least even value in the group. Oh, no, 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 absolutely. So the group think is not something that is necessarily going to be part of every group. So if you look at, for example, there are, it's amazing to me that this is a job that people get paid for, but there are people who work in what are called think tanks, where Mm -hmm. legitimately their job is to come together as a group, think it through, talk about things, and use their knowledge and experience to build moving forward. Right. That wouldn't be group think. That's that's a group thinking, mm. but it's not necessarily group think. 
Okay. Because groupthink is where you let the group define your belief for you. Okay, so it's like mob mentality. Exactly. Groupthink oh, is okay. yeah, it's very okay. much like mob mentality. And so that's where Okay. But you're right. People it's really easy for people to assume that so for example, when someone says or for me, why are you Catholic? And I'm like, well, because I believe it's true. Well, wait a minute, are your parents Catholic? Well, yeah. Well, obviously, that's why you're Catholic. It's just what you grew up with, and so you automatically believe it's true. It's like, well, now look, I'm not saying there's no one who that's true for. There absolutely are people who that's how their faith has worked. Mm -hmm. And that would be less than ideal. It's still not necessarily bad. If you get it right, especially on those things that really matter. So if, for example, I'm going to see a doctor and there's something really wrong with my throat, like, I don't know what it is. It's just, re it's really hurting. And the doctor thinks that I've got a scratch back there. And the only way he can get to it and treat it properly is if he removes my tonsil. And it turns out I actually had tonsillitis. You know what? I'm not terribly concerned with why he removed the problem and why my throat's feeling better. He still got it right. Right. And I'm okay with that. Okay. Okay. But yeah, I think groupthink, it can be over demonized. This idea of agreeing with someone automatically means they're thinking for you is a horrible mindset. Mm -hmm. And yet it is one that a lot of the extreme individualists definitely buy into. If you agree with someone other than me, it's because you're an unthinking sheep. Now, if you agree with me, on the other hand, that means you're an intellectual and brilliant. <laughs> Which is just a different version of groupthink. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's and the again, same that's thing where... with a different mask, yeah. Exactly. And that's where I'm st I am frustrated almost beyond words by the idea that this article would say you shouldn't talk about these things with your kids because it's so personal. It's like, that's so dumb. Yes. How are they supposed <laughs> to learn about it? Right. How right. Uh, like, and have you seen what the common opinions are and how different and varied they are? How am I supposed how is a child supposed to come to a conclusion without some kind of an anchor point? Yeah. If I go out into the ocean in a canoe without a compass and I don't know how to read stars, the odds of me ending up at my destination are virtually none. For one thing, because I'm in horrible shape and would lose the ability to row my canoe very, very quickly. <laughs> Rowing in the is waves. so hard. <laughs> oh, I would I would probably give up and just like throw myself out of the canoe and be like, this is done now. But even if I didn't, like I just I would have no clue where I'm going. Mm -hmm. The old Yogi Berra quote, you got to be careful if you don't know where you're going. You might not get there. <laughs> but I think. So ultimately, I think the emphasis of individualism, to me, one of the things that really terrifies me about it, and I think it ties into what you were talking about, about this kind of just a new form of groupthink, is that if it's purely about individualism and purely about just what the individual believes to be true and you've got to be standing on your own and all of this, what you ultimately end up with is just a might makes right situation because there's nothing else to appeal to. Yeah. If there is no group that can be relied on to help us come to kind of a consensus, if there is no group standard, if there is no if there's nothing bigger than us that we belong to to help keep us in check, then ultimately when you and I disagree, 
whichever one of us is able to force the other one to yield to our power and our belief is the one who ends up being right. And that's very what happens right now. I mean, it is. Oh, absolutely. It's definitely the loudest voice is the most right, right? And yeah, like you said, I mean, that that's kind of how you define mob mentality. I mean, it's that's how it goes. And one of the things that I the reason why I think it's more important for kids to do it from or kids to hear it from their parents rather than from the loudest voice that's out there right now is that like we were just saying is that they're not going to receive it in a way that allows them to think on their own. Okay, so when you're talking with your parents, you're going to be in a situation that is loving and nurturing. Hopefully, you're good parents, everybody. We all try. Nobody's perfect. But a loving, nurturing situation. So they can question, they can ask, and they're allowed to explore. So it actually encourages individual thought in the group because it's not in a way that's domineering. And there, a lot of the conversation out there is not a dialogue. It is a domineering projection that says, if you are not like this, you are wrong and you are bad. And so yes. you're not actually developing that at all by not by letting that person develop your kid. You're not helping them. You're basically making them the problem. Right. And if you think about it, The people who do those high wire acts that keep ending up on television for reasons that I can't fully comprehend where they're walking across these high rise buildings and everything without a net. Don't get me wrong. It's impressive. But I will bet you any money that that is not how they started. Mm -hmm. And so it is the going back to what you were saying by having it in the context of family or community. That's you practicing with a safety net. Yeah, yeah. It, because if you're wrong, or even if it's not necessarily always a matter of right and wrong, even if you disagree, you're doing it in a situation, like you said, ideally, how it ought to be and how it normally is, even though they're not perfect, there is still this safety net of, you know what, even if my parents and I are on completely opposite is- sides of this issue, at the end of the day, they will still love me. Mm -hmm. And I will still love them. And so you've got that safety net. Whereas if you're dealing with the quote unquote dialogue of the modern times where it's actually, like you said, just this shouting match, the love is so completely and totally conditional. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You are good and worthy so long as you agree with what we tell you. And so the idea of trying to stand in opposition to that when there's a really good chance that you will be obliterated by taking that stand. That's a huge ask. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to succeed as an individual without the support of a community. Ooh. Yeah, you took that in a good way. That's completely I try. Right. And and I'm not gonna lie, I, I would like to give you some kudos here. Like I it's become a thing for me to where I sit here and I wait for your analogies because they go <laughs> so wacko. And I'm like, hi rope walker like what and then i'm like okay (laughs) let's see how he connects this i'm intrigued and you come through i mean almost every single time the ones that you don't you delete and i'm okay with that but 98 percent of the time (laughs) oh sure sell me out on that these things come out beautifully and i am thoroughly impressed thank you you know that's the advantage to being just sort of a general nerd who (laughs) watches a bunch of stuff because 
like it all ends up being interesting if you invest enough attention to it, which is a terrifying truth for me. Yes. Uh, it's why I can't. Uh, we talked before about the idea of watching reality television. There's a reason why I cannot allow myself to watch like a full episode of it. I'm terrified that I will actually invest myself in it. And I just I'm not prepared for what that would mean for my life. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. So what kind of a life lesson would you pull from this? I think what I would pull from this is the idea that the individual needs the community and the community needs the individual. A community that allows itself to just be dominated by groupthink, like we were talking about before, is going to become completely and totally stagnant. There will be no growth. And as we've talked about before, if you're not growing, you're dying. And that's what would happen. On the other hand, for the individual you know, I mentioned briefly kind of this idea of the canoe out in the ocean. A ship without an anchor is going to be lost. A ship without some fixed guide point yeah. is going to be lost, even if it's just knowing you need to move away from that. So even if you think that the community is wrong, it that can still be the lighthouse guiding you away from the rocks. If you think what they're doing is wrong, then you at least have that as a fixed point to move against as opposed to just drifting and being tossed about whichever way the waves happen to be moving that day. Yeah. Another well, well executed analogy. Thank you, sir. Man, my- it's been a good night for someone who's brain dead. <laughs> uh, mine has kind of been, I applied it having kids. I was thinking about it. And again, as I said before, I think that idea is completely wrong. And the idea that it takes a, there's the saying, you know, it takes a tribe to raise a kid mm-hmm. is, is and has become so true for us. Like you cannot do it on your own. You cannot do it in a bubble. You cannot like shelter your kids and not let them like censor everything that comes into them. Like you have to have multiple people. I mean, like we, if we didn't have help with our daycare, if we didn't Mm -hmm. have, and actually, I mean, like we could have regular daycare, but it's better that we have a grandma doing it because it's part of the tribe. It's part of our group, and we know that it's going to be building the girls in the way that we want them to build. It takes so many people to raise kids, and not everybody has the same thoughts. Like, I assure Absolutely. you that Kristen's mom, who's with the kids 8 to 10 hours, it's more like 10 hours a day, 11 hours a day, does not have the same <laughs> thoughts on on everything like we do. Especially right. not me. I'm not going to lie. And so it's good for them to have all these different perspectives, but it all coming from this position of love. And it, yes. And it becomes so true. It's been very like physically, visibly, uh, tangibly. There you go. Tangibly true with the kids. But I'm seeing it applied to everything else. Like in work, it's better to work on a team than it is to work by yourself. Uh, again, for me, I'm Absolutely. sure there's people who do it, but like I've run into so many operational things where people operate better as teams than they do as individuals. When you have individuals, people start doing crazy things, and then you have inconsistencies, and then you have to re-standardize, and it's a bunch of extra work. So teams create accountability. So there's kind of like uh, checks and balances in place by having more people around. So it keeps you in the safe zone. I mean, that's the point of a tribe beforehand because it kept you in the safe zone. So you didn't wander off and get eaten by a tiger, right? (laughs) Yeah. We don't have tigers roaming around America anymore. I get that, but the tribe's role is still there and it's still very real. So 
I know not everybody in our modern world has the standard tribe of your family, parents, grandparents, siblings, things like that. But if you don't, I would recommend finding a friend group or a support group or something to where you can build that tribe to where you can support each other, build each other up and help provide that accountability as well, because it's super, super important. You can't do it on your own. And to be honest with you, it sucks doing it on your own. It's not fun. Yeah. It's super lonely. That, those are my thoughts. I'll get off my soapbox here. No, nah, dude, on, that was great, man. Preach on that for a while. But you got anything else on your brain? Man, literally nothing. <laughs> I'm so freaking dead in, in my room right now. You're spent. Perfect. Yes. <laughs> All right, man. I guess with that, we'll say adieu. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening to another Inkledoo podcast. We hope you really enjoyed it. We really enjoyed making it. If you did enjoy it, please do us a favor and make sure to share it on all your own social media so that other people can find us and enjoy us as well. Like something's bad, my body wants to run away. I don't have any choice over the matter. It just it wants to go. So The I body wants it, what it wants, man. <laughs> yeah, I can't fight that.